Hi everyone, it's JC, the You Made New podcast. We're on episode nine, and today we're finishing up, oh, that fun little pointing finger. Didn't you love talking about that? I'm being so sarcastic. That's so hard. Again, I keep just pummeling you with these deep, deep, hard things to look at in ourselves. I saw an analogy, an analogy online. It was, um, looking at some things and someone used the analogy um, of being made alive in Christ. They talked about it being like a knitting, like if you are knitting something and I do not knit. So it kind of made me laugh, but it's the idea that we have to be unraveled so we can be re-knitted by him. And I, I, I was thinking about it. I thought, you know, really at this stage of the game, at this part of the, the, the season, We're not even in the unraveling part yet. We're just in the part where we're still looking down at our knitting going, oh, this is a mess. And I didn't realize that these stitches are all wrong. And I had just been knitting away happily living my life and all of these habits and behaviors and thoughts. And and so we're in several episodes that may feel intense because we're like, this stitch is wrong and this stitch is wrong and we're doing this and this. (laughs) But There is a purpose and we're going to get to the point where how do we unravel that mess and then how do we let him re-knit it into a beautiful, beautiful creation, one that is made new in him. I like the quote. um, I know I quote Dieter F. Uchtdorf a ton, but I just love his insights so much. He says, none of us likes to admit that we're drifting off the right course, right? None of us likes to admit that the knitting is a mess. But he says, often we try to avoid looking deeply into our souls and confronting our weaknesses and limitations and fears. Consequently, when we do examine our lives, we look through the filter of biases and excuses and stories we tell ourselves in order to justify unworthy thoughts and actions. We don't even want to see the mess. And when we do, we make up all these biases and excuses and stories to explain why we're like that. Boy, we're not doing that in this season, are we? He finishes, he says, but being able to see ourselves clearly is essential to our spiritual growth and well-being. Boy, if that isn't the help of the spirit, what is? If our weaknesses and shortcomings remain obscured in the shadows, then the redeeming power of the Savior cannot heal them. So let's continue to be brave. Let's look at some more ways we point our finger today. Um, These were, the ones we're going to talk about today were enlightening for me. I mean, I probably say that all the time, but these, these were big. I was like wide eyed. Like I never, never had thought of it that way. The first one, we're going to talk about a way that we can blame or point or accuse or whatever. Not the people that have caused our most pain, the people that have annoyed us or driven us crazy or abused us or any of those things we talked about last time, but we're pointing at our greatest Family members, loved ones, supporters, companions, we're pointing an accusation at them. Now, why would we do that? Why would we, why would I even say that we do that? These are the people we love, right? These are the people that we've chosen in our life, our spouse, the children that we adore. Why would we point at them? And I'd like to suggest that in a fallen state, when we're dealing with spiritual death, it's real easy to turn our finger toward them and charge them with not doing enough to make us feel better. I mean, they're our loved ones. And sometimes we get it in our head, you know, I am suffering here and it is your job to fix that. 
you're my husband or you're my mom or you're my best friend. And we accuse, maybe not in those kinds of words, but we tend to look at them as if you're not doing enough. I need more from you. I have needs and they're not being met and I need you to be there for me. Now, I'm not, please understand from the beginning, I'm not saying that we can't have loving relationships, but let's look at how this can get twisted. I'm going to use an example from my own life, like I keep doing, but this was a turning point for me. Um, It happened many, many years ago when I had kids at home and, and there was a season when I was just kind of spiraling out of control. I was empty. I was depressed. Like I was not happy. And I look back and now I can see, you know, now I can go spiritual death. Like that's what that was, JC. But I didn't get that then. I didn't understand that then. I just know I felt, I felt miserable. And I'm convinced now looking back on it, that the adversary saw an opportunity and crept in and persuaded me to blame my husband for all my misery. In other words, I have all these needs. If you would just change this and this and this, I, I'd be happy. That's what's wrong with me. And so that pointing finger finally, you know, started to come out. But here's what happened that night. It was kind of crazy. I was building up in these feelings all day. Like, I just need to sit him down. He just needs to know that I just need some things to change. <laughs> right? Spouses know. We've, we've sat that person down for the talk. Right? And that's what was about to happen. And I, I'm not even kidding. That night, the, the, the prompting or the rebuke that came over me from the Spirit, from the Lord, was very clear. It was unmistakable. And the, the message was, no, you will not say one word to him, period. You will not lay this at his feet. You will not this put this burden on him. And I have to tell you, as that began to kind of take over my mind and I could tell what where the Lord was going. I didn't like that at all. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. That's his job. That's what you do in marriage. I need to vent. I need him to know I'm not happy. I need him to change and make me happier and do some things that will. And I started like arguing back in my head. Like, no, I have to. I'm going to explode if I can't talk to him about this and tell him what he needs to do. Because I'd, I'd come up with a list, right? <laughs> And, and I'm not even kidding. The Lord's rebuke continued. Nope. No. Do not say a word. Do not open your mouth. So as that continued, I was kind of fussing and like, oh my gosh, what, what am I supposed to do? I'm so miserable. And I finally began to calm down a little bit and pray about it. And all right, Lord, then what? And once he finally kind of had my attention, once I was over kind of my little temper tantrum, the thought came into my mind about all the verses over and over and over in scripture that talk about Christ being my deliverer, my savior, my redeemer. Those words all have the same connotation. He alone can rescue, can save, can deliver us. I I started thinking of different verses. Hebrews 4, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace. Find grace to for help. Find mercy. There's one in Psalms 31, be of good courage. He'll strengthen your heart, all ye that open the Lord. There's a beautiful one in Isaiah 58 that says, the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones. My soul was in drought. That's exactly what was happening. And that verse promises and all of these other verses 
promised me he will redeem. He will deliver. He will save me out of that. Who was I turning to instead? Who was I trying to make my tree of life? Like trying to find life, trying to find happiness. I was trying to soak it out of that relationship rather than looking to the true God. I was making my husband my false God, my false deliverer. And, and once I began to kind of have that settle on me, it's like the Lord was saying, JC, look to me. I know you love him. And that is a gift in your life that you have that relationship, but he cannot fix what is ailing you. I know you think he can, but only me, only me. It's like, think about it. We, that person, whoever, and see, we can do this with our spouse, our children, our parents, our best friend. It can be any person, any relationship in our life that we have made put above the Lord in terms of that, that relationship is the one I look to, to meet all my emotional and mental needs, all my happiness needs. That person is responsible for it. Here, I hand that over to you person and you have to make sure that I'm happy all the time. This is your responsibility. <laughs> But I mean, here's the thing. They, they can hug us. They can speak soothing words to us. They can listen. There's a lot of good things that humans can do. And I'm not saying that at times we can't turn to them as a way to find comfort. But can that human being, whoever they may be, reach inside my heart and heal my spiritual death? No. They can't do anything to light that flame, to bring me back to life. To redeem me from the fall. Save me from the fall. I give that person too much power. If I'm pointing my finger at them and looking at them like, you're not doing enough. You need to get your act together because you got to change some things to make me happy. It sounds so selfish when I put it that way, doesn't it? But that's how I was acting in that instance. I gave him the responsibility to fix my brokenness. When there was a true redeemer just waiting just waiting for me to turn to him. Um, there's a scripture. It's it's actually kind of a tough one. If you look at it, some of, the, some of us have maybe read it, but didn't have it sink in, like what Christ was really saying in this verse. It, it's found, let's see, in Luke 14, verse 26. And we don't, we don't have time to read the context. You can read the chapter if you want. But he says this, If any man come unto me and hate not his father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my, my disciple. He, he mentions this huge list of family members and loved ones. He says, if any man come to me and hate not all these people, you can't be that, my disciple. Now, I mean, that doesn't sound like the Jesus we love, right? What is he talking about? Have you ever had that verse hit you? Have you ever read it and you went, wait, wait, what? hate your family. What is he talking about? It doesn't even make sense in light of his character, who we know that he is, that that he is love personified. Why would he say something like that? I've actually spent some time with this verse and, and I think it ties in perfectly to what we're talking about. I was digging around a little online. And again, if we go to the original language, the Greek word hate there is from the Greek word missio. I probably didn't say that right, but Yes, missio can be used to describe literal hatred, but it can also carry a meaning of preference. In other words, to renounce one thing in favor of another. 
So because we know Jesus was not saying, I want you to despise your family. I want you to loathe your family. Treat them like an enemy with hatred. That's not what he was saying. But if we put in the meaning of preference, he's very clear that I come before any of them. You turn to me before all else. You love me before anyone else, everyone else in your life. It goes really well with Matthew 10. I tied those two together and it started to make um, more sense to me. Matthew 10, verse 37. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Right? And and isn't it loving him, that person, more than Christ if we give them the responsibility to heal us and save us and redeem us and restore us and fix us. I'm putting that person on the pedestal instead of him where he belongs. Christ is the only one that should have that role in our lives. And he's saying, listen, if you put any of them in your life above me, as sweet and wonderful and powerful as those relationships may be, as much of a gift as they are in our lives. We can't make them our redeemers and start pointing at them as if they're not doing enough because they'll never be able to do enough. They're mortal. They're mortal. They can't fix what's broken here. I really like um, this quote from Beth Moore in her new book, Chasing Vines. Beth is, is a truly gifted woman of God. Oh my goodness, don't get me started. But in her new book, she says this, listen to this. We're meant to have the closest of loves and relationships with other people. So there we go. That's what we're saying. This is not a bad thing. We're meant to have these wonderful relationships. But she says, we can become so tightly wound up in them that the life force of Christ is reduced to an occasional random drip. All my focus is on that person, trying to get all my happiness from them instead of from him. Then she says, the irony is that the relationships we've prioritized over Christ have been cut off from the very force that's capable of making them flourish. He's the one that can make those relationships come alive, fill us with the true love of Christ. And I will love my husband well, and I won't expect him to fix all the broken places that he can never fix because he's human too, and he's got his own brokenness to deal with. Yes, we can support and love and bless each other, but we can't save each other. We can't redeem each other out of spiritual death. And when we expect each other to, and then accuse each other when we're pointing that finger like, why aren't you doing more? We're looking to the wrong source. It's uh, made me think of the woman at the well differently ever since I began studying this in my own personal life. Because we know her story. She'd lived with five husbands. Five different husbands and now living with man number six. And I think sometimes we look at her like, you know, old days, like she's immoral or she's, you know, maybe that wasn't it. Maybe she was just searching for someone to fill her emptiness. Maybe she was looking to a marriage to fix it. And because she was looking to a mortal person, no man can ever do that. No husband can ever give enough. He's just a man. And so on she'd move to the next one, to the next one, just trying to fill that void with romance, with love. Man, our world tells us this is our God. This is what will do it. All those chick flicks, all those romance novels, all that. Just find someone who completes you. You know, they are all you need. They will fill every empty place. Oh, we love those movies, don't we? 
And again, those relationships are sweet and they're meant to be good. But if, if we make that person God, our God over our happiness, our deliverer over our happiness, we're just going to keep searching like the women at the well. We're never going to find it either. And so I love when he came to her at the well, he looked at her and he didn't rebuke her. You'd think he would have like, oh, what have you been doing? What is this mess of your life? You know, no, he invited her. You're looking for living water in the wrong place. I can give you all the living water you'll ever need. Come, I can give you the kind of water where you'll never thirst again. You won't have to keep looking. You won't have to keep pointing at the next man and the next man, trying to get him to fill you because what I have can fill you in a way that you can't even find words to express. That is what this adventure is about this season. But can you see how we can't get there until we see the wrong things that we're pointing at, the wrong places we're trying to run to find it? This was big for me. It shifted my marriage and my other relationships. So they didn't um, have to be responsible for so much of my happiness. Like, I just love my husband. Just take that pressure off of his shoulders. Not expect him to be God to me. Ooh, you know, chew on that for a while. This this gets into, again, the area of codependency. There's a lot we could say, and I'm really having a hard time not making this a 50-episode season because we could go off on that. But I again, I'm really trying to be at peace with just throwing ideas out there and then letting you chew on them and letting you take them in prayer to the Lord and go, do I do this? How do I do this? Do I ever point at people I love? Um, it's just at least something to ponder. Now, we only have a few minutes left, but I want to throw out, and again, dang it, this should be a whole episode, but I am keeping it short and sweet and simple as one more final way to ponder how you could point, how you can point your finger. And this is the toughest one of all because it's complicated We could never do it justice, even if I did a whole episode with this, but I'm just throwing the idea out there so that you can ponder this as well. It's the idea that when we really start to think about it and all our struggles and all our misery and all the suffering that we've had, the place our finger might want to point most of all is to heaven, is to the Lord himself. Now, a lot of times we'll bury those feelings because we don't want to admit we're kind of mad at God. Or we're kind of hurt by God or that, you know, we don't want to admit that this one can live deep, deep, deep below the surface. But once you dig, we might find some resentment living quietly down there for him. You did not answer that prayer the way I wanted you to. You did not keep that person alive. I prayed and prayed and prayed and they died anyway. You did not spare me from that that trial. You did not help my child the way I asked you to. Or you did not. Oh, Man, the list could be long, couldn't it? And it comes from a misunderstanding, of course, of what his job is. He's not Santa Claus. He's not there to fix everything and make everything perfect. We are here to go through tough stuff. It's what teaches us. It's what how we learn. But sometimes we're so hurt by some of it. And we know he's almighty and he could have fixed it. And he didn't. So there may be deep, deep, deep down... A little bit of bitterness, a little bit of anger, a little bit of resentment, a little bit of hurt, where we want to point at him and say, why? Why did you let that happen to me? Why didn't you stop that? It could be we accuse him of attributes that our own 
broken parents had. And because we think, well, that's what a father does. So God must be like that too. And we just withhold our love from him because we think he's going to be just like our dad. If our dad was abusive or abandoning or whatever. Do you see how complex this is and how I could never, never get to the bottom of that? But boy, that was a can of worms I had to look into as well in my own heart. All these different ways of pointing because I can get mired and stuck right here in this blaming because a lot of it is legitimate. Those were hard things we've gone through. There is suffering that we're experiencing and we want someone to fix it. And if God hasn't done it and my husband hasn't done it and you know, we can get completely messed up and stuck in this place. And guys, we could spend our whole life in that bitterness and resentment. Do you know anyone like that? They're late, late in life in their seventies and eighties and they're still carrying that anger or they're still a bitter angry person, resentful person who points their finger in so many different ways. Even it's just by critical, they're critical. They're, you know, a lot to think about, huh? A lot to think about. But again, if we see it not as, as shameful, something shameful I've done, but just allowing the Lord to shine the light under the surface. Like we talked about at the beginning, we have to see that our knitting, the stitches are off. It's never going to be the creation that we need it to be until we can see those stitches are wrong and see that we need to unravel them. We will get into the unraveling later of all of this. Right now, all we're trying to do is see the different ways we are stuck and the things that keep us from coming to Christ. And Adam and Eve's story illustrates it beautifully. We make fig leaves. We run off into hiding. We point our finger at all different kinds of people and situations. And these, do you see how it just, it illustrates it so that all of a sudden we're like, oh man, I've been everywhere else but turning to him. Okay, next episode, we're going to kind of sum, we're done with the story. We're going to sum it all up. We're going to take all those details and kind of do a summary as we begin to turn the corner and move in a whole different direction where we can now, like I said, start to do the unraveling, start to see what that will look like and how we begin to turn to him with our whole hearts and truly make him our redeemer, our deliverer. Let him actually deliver. Not just keep talking about the same brokenness, but let him heal it. Let him fill our little dead, empty soul with eternal life. All right. Good luck this week in your pondering and your studying. Take some time to go over all that. Make it personal. And then let's get going in the next episode.